is from Isaiah chapter 45. That's on page 606 of your Pew Bibles. Uh, This Advent season, we are considering that theme of rejoicing in Christ the Savior, the emphasis on Savior, Christ the Savior, and so keep that in mind. As we read through God's word, Isaiah chapter 45, we're actually going to begin reading at verse 14 through the end of the chapter, and again, that's on page 606 of your pew Bibles. So hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens... He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would open our eyes, each of our eyes, both eyes, uh, so that we would indeed behold wondrous things from your law. 
wondrous things, Father, that uh, point us to Christ and that assurance of salvation because of what Christ accomplished on our behalf. Pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, would not only be convicting us of sin, but calling us to a closer walk of faith with Christ, a deeper love, a growing love, a living faith. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Surely one of the most significant scripture verses that we will hear at Christmas, you know, comes from the gospel according to Luke. Verses, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This glorious proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ gave a gospel hope to the fearful shepherds and and still gives hope to us today with this announcement of Christ's incarnation. We hear God's glorious promise of a Savior. You know, this gospel promise then leads to, to glorious praise after the announcement Of the incarnation of Christ, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Well, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, when we turn back to Isaiah 45, and that's going to be our text for today, so uh, keep your Bibles open there. Now, we hear another glorious promise of the Savior. You know, hear God's glorious promise of salvation in Isaiah 45, verse 22. And that, that's going to be our core verse. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. You know, the the context is this. If you're not familiar with Isaiah or it's been a little while, you know, Isaiah the prophet lived about 740 to 700 B.C. before the birth of Christ. Uh, He proclaimed God's message of comfort and God's glory, uh, but as well he pronounced God's judgment, God's righteous judgment on an idolatrous Israel. Isaiah witnessed the fall of the northern kingdom under the Assyrian attack, and the southern kingdom then of Judah was close to military and spiritual disaster as well, and God graciously spared them for a time. You know, and at the beginning of Isaiah 45, when, when you study it, you'll see that God gave the promise of, of an anointed one. A savior, and it was a striking savior at first because it was a Gentile ruler by the name of Cyrus, who was the Persian conqueror. Judah would fall. They would be carried into captivity in Babylon. Along would come Cyrus. He would conquer Babylon, and he would graciously, or I shouldn't say graciously, but uh, favorably allowed Israel to return uh, to their native land. 
You know, and Isaiah prophesied this at least a hundred years before it, it took place. You know, but Isaiah was not only pointing to Cyrus, you know, God's word here is more importantly pointing us to Christ, uh, the Savior. And we'll see as we go through these verses of Isaiah 45 that the Lord's glorious promise of salvation gives assurance of hope to sinners. It gave assurance of hope to the sinner's end, and it still gives that gracious assurance uh, to us today. Why does the Lord's promise, glorious promise, give us assurance of hope? Just two truths uh, this morning, or two points to the outline. First, the, the glorious character of our saving God. There in Isaiah 45, 14 through 21. And then the glorious call of our saving God in Isaiah 45, uh, 22 through 25. We begin there with the glorious character of our saving God. It's a challenge in a way to uh, summarize the the character of the attributes of God uh, that are described in this portion of Scripture, but there are five chief attributes I encourage you to follow along. And the first one is that, that God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a faithful God. You know, just that title, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, speaks of God's faithfulness. And if you read through that, that title for the Lord is used at least eight times. You know, we keep coming back to that truth. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is true to his covenant promises. You know, a little bit of biblical background to that old, you know, God first revealed himself by that name to Moses at the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3. And then the Lord used his servant Moses to deliver his people out of their bondage in Egypt, to lead them through the wilderness for 40 years and safely bring them to uh, the border of the promised land. Derek Thomas put it this way, this was to be Isaiah's contribution, calling a wayward people back to the Lord and the security of his covenant promises to the faithful. So he's a covenant-keeping God. Secondly, he has a compassion for the nations. You know, there in verse 14, we read about the wealth of Egypt, the merchandise of Cush, the Sabaeans. Egypt was a, a place of security. Remember, after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph fled. Where did they flee to? To Egypt. It had been a place of security for Abraham. You know, Joseph and his family were safely there in Egypt for a time, uh, but it was also an enslaving society. It was a trade partner of of Israel. That's why the wealth of Egypt. And then uh, we read about the merchandise of Cush or the Ethiopians, again, neighbors of Israel to the south. The Sabaeans, only mentioned here, men of stature, men of strength. But all these people groups, Scripture tells us, will come over to Israel, drawn by the power of the one true and living God. It was a great scriptural promise to Israel that was struggling at this point. 
You know, keep in mind, the northern kingdom uh, had already been carried off into captivity, and now the southern kingdom uh, was fearful uh, of the Babylonians. You know, but this God who shows compassion to the nations strikingly is a God who hides himself, we read there in verse 15. You know, he, he mysteriously and mercifully at times cloaks his attributes. John Calvin captured it this way, a hidden God because those things which he promised are not immediately visible to our eyes. We don't understand now, but one day, by God's grace, we will understand. He's a covenant-keeping God. He has compassion for the nations. Third, he is the creator God. This is a theme throughout Isaiah. As you read this uh, glorious book of prophecy, he created the heavens, he formed, he fashioned the earth, he made it firm, Scripture tells us, he filled it. He did not, there in verse 18, create it empty. He did not create it in vain or without a purpose. You know, there there is always a purpose in God's work of creation. The earth was created for habitation by God's creatures, most importantly for Adam and Eve and their descendants. You know, there's a glory in God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. So we see that he is a creator God, but he also speaks to us in his word. Verse 19, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. Covenant-keeping God, compassion for the nations, creator God. Fourth, there's a condemnation of idolatry. Verse 18, you know, I am the Lord, last Fraser, I am the Lord and there is no other. You know, God speaks to his children in the truth of his word. You know, this same saving God also calls the survivors of the nations there in verse 20 to present themselves before him. Really here he is graciously inviting all false worshipers to renounce their idols, their wooden idols, idols that they have made with their own hands, and to worship him alone. And then God's word asks this great question, why keep on praying to a God that cannot save? You know, maybe you know people like that even today. You know, they're praying, praying to someone, praying to a God who cannot save. You know, but throughout this whole section, you know, even the first section, we have heard of these holy and hopeful promises, reminders of God's salvation. And, and so the climax of this first section is there in the last part of verse 21, was I, it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. And that's the fifth attribute. It's God's chief work of salvation. 
You, you see that word Savior there in verse 15, saved, everlasting salvation. Verse 17, righteous God and the Savior. Uh, verse 21, we're going to see it again in verse 22. You know, one of the chief characteristics of Israel's God and our God is that he is the Savior. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. He, he gives us victory over his and our enemies. He liberates us from the bondage of sin. You know, we studied through Judges in Sunday school for, what, a decade? And uh, some of you might be familiar. They use that word Savior to talk about Othniel and Ahud. Well, this is a far greater Savior. Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. Many people are, are looking for a savior. You know, but the, the problem is they, they are looking for short-term saviors. You know, Lord, just get me through this day. Get me through this week. Get me through this, this trial time. Help me to feel better, Lord. And, and so they look for saviors and things like toys, temporal pleasures, Trinkets, gold, guns. Yep, I know I'm going to meddling. You know, but, but here is a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Earlier in Isaiah, we read this line. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That's what Isaiah is telling us. If you're looking for salvation in anything else, and anyone else, you will be sorely disappointed. There is only one true Savior, and praise God for that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of the command given to Joseph. You know, what shall we name this child? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You know, consider one of the Christmas hymns that we sang this morning, Of the Father's Love Begotten. This hymn was written by Aurelius Clemens Prudentius, born in Spain in 348 A.D., a long time ago. He served the Lord as a lawyer, then as a judge, then as a civil servant. He retired at the age of 57 because he felt called of the Lord to write poetry and hymns. It said he wrote a lot of hymns, but this is the chief hymn that, that he is remembered for. Actually, nine original verses into in that hymn. But there are some timeless gospel truths. I'm glad we still sing it. We sing it to plain song. It comes from the 12th century. And the idea with plain song was the emphasis was on the words. And the music helped you to remember the words, the gospel truths that you were singing. One of the hymns, verses we didn't sing, is this. He, that is Jesus, is found in human fashion, 
death and sorrow here to know that the race of Adam's children doomed by law to endless woe may not henceforth die and perish in the dreadful gulf below evermore and evermore. But then the very next verse speaks of the Savior, and we sang this verse. O that birth forever blessed, when the virgin full of grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race. And the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore. Now, it's good for us to know uh, and rejoice in all these attributes of God. He is the covenant-keeping God. He shows compassion for the nations. He's the creator God, uh, the one who condemns idolatry. But most importantly, his chief work is that of salvation. That's why verse 22 in this next section um, is our, the chief verse. Here we see uh, the glorious call of our saving God. We're moving from the glorious character of our saving God now, now to his glorious call. Again, verse 22, turn to me and be saved. Actually, both commands from the Lord himself. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. You know, there, there's the call of irresistible grace in, in here in Isaiah 45, verse 22. First, turn to me. You know, take a moment here to unpack this. King James is, look unto me. Geneva notes tell us he calls the idolaters to repentance, willing them to look on him with eyes of faith. Turn to me. I'm so thankful it included that, that little phrase, turn to me. It's not turn to a thing. Turn to your toys, trinkets, gold, guns, whatever it might be, your false idols. Turn to me and be saved. Give you a a quick summary. Um, Back in the Old Testament book of Numbers, there's an episode in the life of Israel, yes, where they're grumbling and complaining against the Lord, and the Lord sends fiery serpents into their midst, and the people are, are dropping like flies. And we read this, Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. Let me back up, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look or turn to the bronze serpent and live. And you might be saying, well, preacher, that's a good story. Well, flip ahead. Uh, to John chapter 3. You know, we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, but you know, here those verses before John 3, 16. John three fourteen and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Turn to me, look to me, and be saved. Look to Christ, look to the cross where Christ died for our sins. Yes, there is that crisis of sin, that condemnation of death, and and yet we all know then John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. King James, that's the way I memorized it. Turn to me and be saved, delivered from that death, from fiery serpents, from the grip of Satan. No, Lord, I'd rather die by snake bites here, fiery serpents. I'm, I'm sort of happy and content here, Lord. Turn to me and be saved. And then the last part, all the, all the ends of the earth. You know, this would have been shocking, surprising in a way for Israel. You know, God's gospel offer is not only going to Israel, it's going to all the ends of the earth. We've already read about the Egyptians, the Cushites, the Sabaeans. You know, but, but that gospel call is now going to all the earth. It extends beyond the return of his people to Jerusalem, the Lord's sovereign salvation plan extends to Egyptians, Ethiopians, Sabaeans, Gentiles. You know, Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. He calls us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God will indeed carry out his gospel plan. People of all nations, all tribes, all tongues will be worshiping the Lord in glory. Now really in Isaiah 45 we have a free offer of the gospel. All nations, all ethnicities, all ages, all genders, all social classes, every kind of struggle and there's an implied command then for us to widely, generously, graciously sow his gospel seeds. And again, God reminds us here in Isaiah 45, verse 22, for I am God, there is no other. In case you've forgotten, there, there is salvation in no one else other than the one true and living God who loves us in Christ. You know, there's a call there to turn. It's a gracious invitation, a glorious invitation. You know, one of my prayers for church family, our own family members, for friends, that the Lord would be stirring in each heart, convicting us of sin, yes. And yes, reminding us of the emptiness of a life without Christ. Calling us to saving faith in Christ. 
And lest we think, well, this is just lip service, light words. Look at verse 23 of Isaiah 43. You know, by myself I have sworn, by my own character, by my own holy and righteous name, I have taken this covenant promise, is what God has saying. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return without bearing fruit. And in God's providence, the last part of verse 23 should sound familiar. Those studying Philippians this morning, to me, every knee shall bow. Yes, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's here in Isaiah. You know, that, that glorious call to saving faith. You know, a call, verse 24, now to trust the Lord for salvation. We hear another call. Again, it's only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. And finally, a call to glorify the Lord. Verse 25, in the Lord shall be justified and shall glory all the seed of Israel. It's the way it, it reads literally. You know, but but again it's that assurance. You know, it's as we are in the Lord that we shall be justified. You know, a, a rich gospel word. You know, but it, it but it means this that God sees us in our sinfulness, and yes, we are convicted of our sins. And he declares us righteousness, you know, by grace, through faith in Christ. He clothes us with the righteous garments of Christ. He accepts us as righteous only for the righteousness of Christ that is credited credited to our account received by faith alone. Shall be justified and shall glory or shall rejoice. You know, that, that ought to be our response to this redeeming work of Christ. It's rejoicing. That's why we gather together on the Lord's day as, as the Lord's redeemed people. But we can do this every day, you know, in our own homes, in our own quiet places. To, to glory, to rejoice that God has indeed sent us a Savior. Christ gets all the glory and praise. You know, there's a Christmas hymn, a lot of Christmas hymns. Every year I'm struck by another one I hadn't heard before, one I would like for us to learn. It's in our Trinity hymnals, 229. We're not going to sing it today. But, but hear one of the verses. Gentle Mary laid her child lowly in a manger. He is still the undefiled but no more a stranger. Son of God, of humble birth, beautiful the story. Praise his name in all the earth. Hail the King of glory. You know, Christ is that King of glory. You know, that Son of God, that Savior of sinners. All glory and praise is due unto him. i close with this illustration and application. You know, this past Tuesday night, um, Lowell, Sibyl, 
directs, manages the Bill Funeral Home now here in town. Every year they have a Christmas program. Uh, They invite all the families and friends of those who have uh, lost loved ones in the past year to to come and to attend. Uh, They read the names. Last year I had to read all the Cajun names. Thankfully this year they had someone else reading. (sighs) Answer to prayer. And, uh, but, you know, I was asked to give a, a, a devotional. You know, and it's a challenge. Give a short devotional, you're in a funeral home, and everyone's thinking about their loved ones that are not there. We sang some hymns of the faith, a few ministers shared, prayed about what to speak on, and so spoke on God's glorious and gracious promise of hope. Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, then that's God's hope for the hurting, for those who are sorrowing, those who are struggling in this season of the year. You know, and that's a good gospel test. This is still true for someone who is sorrowing, struggling, suffering. And yes, it is. It's still the gospel truth. And so close with this. May each one of you know that the Lord's gracious promise of salvation that gives assurance of hope to sinners. But then may the Lord use each one of us to proclaim this glorious promise of salvation, this assurance of hope in Christ, the one who died for our sins on the cross. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you uh, for the joy that we can know in Christ, joy even in the midst of suffering and sorrowing and struggling, the joy because of Christ's birth, Christ's sinless life, because of Christ's sacrificial death for our sins. Lord, there is no other hope apart from that hope in Christ. But praise God that you have given us that gospel hope, that assurance. And Lord, might we not only give you praise today for that gracious gift of salvation, but Lord, we Ask as well that you would be using us to proclaim this gospel truth. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.